0: Chris, last week, I wasn't here. Chris opened this series up. It's the series of Beautiful Mess. And what we're really talking about is committed to growing in relationship. Pastor Chris, last week, introed this series. And, he, and really kind of what we're doing is this is the holiday message. This time of year, Thanksgiving, This this week, we're getting together. We all get to, matter of fact, just last night, my wife and I had a discussion about our get together and who we get together with and how we get together with them. The, then the Christmas season, right on its heels. And it's, it's a relational time of year. It's, for me, a very romantic time of year. I love Christmas time. It's absolutely, it's one of my favorite times of year. It's a lot of fun, but on the flip side, I know for some it's also very difficult and very painful. Sometimes the holidays bring these forced, family get-togethers you know these people that you're related to that you're supposed to love so much but you only see them once a year always had a and you'd rather you think what am I doing on these holidays wouldn't I rather be with those that I really love and I got to go spend time with my family so what we're going to talk about is this holiday season is just what does the Bible say about relationships how do we do them and how do we do them well See, as Chris talked about last week, he gave this quote. For those of you who were here, for those of you who weren't, I want to repeat it. He uh, he talked about how you can't take the gospel seriously, the message of Jesus Christ. You can't take the message seriously and not take your relationship seriously. You can't do it. When Jesus enters my life, it is a relational message. It restores me. It makes me a, I'm adopted as a son. I can call God, daddy, father. It's relational. God is relational in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this quote was, you can't take the gospel seriously and not take your relationship seriously, but we tend to make compromises that negatively impact our relationships without giving it se- understanding a serious contradiction of that. So what we're going to talk about is just the reality of these relationships. Now this morning, where we're going to go this morning... As we're going to talk about, Chris kind of laid the theory and the heart behind this series. Where we're going to be headed this morning and for the rest of the series is we want to try and be very, very practical. How do you do relationships? So this morning what we're dealing with, in my opinion, is probably the foundation, the practical foundation of all relationships. And it's words. Without words, without the ability to communicate, you really have no relationship. You can call it that, but it's not deep. To kind of get us going, I want to show, watch this video. Uh, It's a funny video. It's a fun video, but kind of sets the stage for words within the context of communication.
1: (laughs) All right, I got it. She's going to love it. Well, how did you find a card so fast? I'm speaker of lady language. I hear their voices in my head, much like Beethoven heard music. No, I think it was just voices. Either way, I've got a card, and you don't. I'm trying to find one with the right words. I just I can't find one that really describes how I feel. Here, this one. This one. This is the one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, sugar is sweet, and so is Honey. I bought you this card because I had no money. (laughs) That is so you. It's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's not me. What are you trying to say? I need a card that says, I don't deserve you. I never have, and I never will. From the moment that I first saw you, I knew that I wanted to be with you, to know you, to understand you. I am humbled that you chose me. I have married out of my league, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize that fact. And I've never, I've never taken our vows lightly. What do I say to the mother of my children, my best friend, my soulmate? I love you can just sound so cliche and trite, but it's the only words that I know. I love you. I mean, that would be a card, you know? That would be a card that I'd want to (laughs) buy. What's the matter? What happened? Don't look at me! Okay, okay! Look away! I I, I have... What's the matter? (laughs) It's like I'm a swimming pool, and your words are like cannonballs landing! Pull yourself together, man! Attention, everybody! We are in the presence of a true wordsmith. No, we're not. Allow his words to be the wings of which your cards fly. No, no. I want what he's having. Okay, we need to go. We need to go right now. (sighs) I've got an idea. We'll get those cards that are blank on the inside, and we'll write your words on them. And then we'll give them to our ladies. But we have to write in calligraphy. I'm just going to take your card. What was that part about the true uh, soulmates? I need a pen. I'm going to write this down. That stuff is gold. That'll give me a whole Sunday of football.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our words. (laughs) Communication. As I think about our words, one of the things that kind of I think about how important they are to relationships, I have four kids, love them to death, love my kids to death. But the reality is I've never been a baby guy. I've never been a baby guy. I never forget when um, my friends start getting married and the first one of my friends has a baby. And I did the dutiful thing where I thought I'd go over and see the baby and say that I care and, you know, try and... Say hi, and I get there to their house and they come to the door, they greet me, and he's holding this baby, and he says to me, Do you want to hold her? And I say to him, No, thank you. (laughs) He says, No, seriously, hold the baby. And I say, No, I don't want to hold the baby. And before long, he is just taking this little girl, I mean, only a few weeks, a week or two old, holds her out, and I think, Well, I gotta put my arms out here, and then he just kind of lays her in my arms. And I remember standing there, stiff as a board, holding this baby. And I'm thinking, I'm going to hurt her. What do I do with this? This, what do I do with her? <laughs> but I've never been a baby guy. And i never, never forget then when Luke was born. Now Luke comes along. And again, those of you who have been in a labor and delivery room, it's not a pretty picture. And this baby comes out and they're covered with this stuff and their heads look funny. And they're, they're just, they're crying and it's messy. But this baby comes out. And I've shared this before. It was this instantaneous. Wow. I'm in love. I don't even know this kid, and I'm in love. An instantaneous relationship was born. Now, that relationship cannot be taken from Luke or me. Even if I am a total jerk of a dad, if I stay completely and totally emotionally detached, or if Luke would make some terrible decisions in his life and walk away from our family, he is still my son. The relationship, bang, it was formed. Now, I guess he could go through legal proceedings and have us removed, but at the end of the day, I'm still his dad. He's a son. Now, what I've come to learn, though, is though the relationship in its technical sense exists, its depth doesn't come into being until we're able to communicate. I've watched all four of our kids grow up. Our youngest now is 2 years old and she's getting to the stage where she can put sentences together. She's getting to the place where I go to get her out of bed in the morning and she'll say to me I thirsty and she's able to communicate they're able to put words, and one of my favorite stages is when they start to get a little pudgy and round, and they can sit up for themselves, and they can smile at you, and they can coo, and they can awe, and they, there is this sense of they know who you are, I know who they are, and there's this give and take beginning to communicate, though words aren't there. But then as Ava then gets a little older, my youngest, and now she's able to talk, I find our relationship deepening, and here's the cool thing. My nine-year-old son, or soon-to-be nine-year-old son, I don't love him more than my two-year-old but our relationship is deeper it's much deeper why is that it's because we can talk It's because he can reason, he can. He has logic now, he's able to tell me about his day, he's able to tell me about the dreams that he has and how they make him feel, he's able to tell me about his teachers and how how things impress upon his heart. I can listen to him speak, I can in turn open my mouth and I can communicate back to him and our relationship grows deep. So in a lot of ways, what we're talking about this morning, why we chose this as kind of the first real practical thing is words are the practical foundation of a healthy relationship. If I'm going to be healthy, I've got to use my words well. They're also the practical foundation for very unhealthy relationships. Words can destroy people, horribly destroy. Now, here's the thing: on average, on average, we use. Now, these estimates are all over the place. You read some studies that say we use twenty-five thousand words a day. With some say we use twelve thousand. What I generally find is scientists who study this generally say we as humans use 16,000 words a day. Now, there's some that say men use less, women use more, some disagree with that, but on an average, if you're a human who exists here on this earth, on a given day, you use about 16,000 words a day. Now, that's the problem. Do you know why that's a problem? Because they become very mundane. My words become commonplace. See, if I'm using 16,000 of them, they really become very mundane. And I came across this cool quote this week. It basically says this. The author says, uh, you know, we are tricked into thinking that words aren't really that important because they fill the little mundane moments of our lives. He goes on to say, you know what? He says, I hate to break it to you, but none of you are really that important. He says, you only make three or four big decisions in your life. Think about this. From the time you were born until the time you die, you only make really three, four, maybe more, if if three or four really life or death crucial decisions in your life. Most of us won't be written up in history books. He goes on to say, several decades after you die, the people you leave behind will struggle to remember the events of your life. And then he says this. You live your life in the utterly mundane. And if God doesn't rule your mundane, he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. 16,000 words a day. They're commonplace. They're mundane. But it's where we live. And we need to ask God to enter that place and say, help me live well in these places. The verse I think that comes to mind here, Matthew 12, 36 to 37. Allow the weight of this verse to sink in. Jesus says, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for, what's the word that's used there? How many of your words? Every careless word they have spoken. Every single word. Every little tiny mundane part of my life that comes out of my mouth. Every single word that they have spoken, I'm going to stand and account for. Jesus goes on, for by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. The little mundane parts of my life, I'm going to stand before Jesus. I'm going to stand before God. He's going to say, what have you done with your words? As I think about this, here's the reality of words. Words have the power to give life or to take it. Your words, my words, can either give the people sitting around you life or they can rob them of that life. Words are powerful. I think of James 3.6. James 3.6 draws the connection to our tongue and hell. It's a brutal verse. I believe the connection that's made there is the tongue is one of hell's chief and primary weapons used against mankind. Is our tongue. It talks about our tongues are like the fires of hell as it, as it references in James three, six, it's brutal. What I do with my language, those little, every mundane things is either going to give life or it's going to take it. So this morning, my heart is, as a pastor, this is speaking to me as an individual, as a pastor for this church. I mean, (laughs) is that I learned to hold my tongue. Our challenge this morning is really to take that sixteen thousand number and try and drop it to maybe twelve thousand or ten thousand let 's learn to hold that tongue and listen more now as i 've worked through this message <laughs> and i 've thought and wrestled and and tried to uh, What I did ultimately is I sat down with the tool BibleGateway.com. Some of you I know are used to that tool. I just went on there online and I typed in tongue, lips, mouth, words, speak, gossip, slander, uh, communication. I typed in all these words and I pulled all the verses that I could personally find in the pages of Scripture on the tongue. And I was stunned. I mean, I was left speechless many a times as I read these verses and I read them and I read them and I read them 15 pages, single space typed through, and I'm reading verse after verse. God speaks often on how we use our tongue. And so what I was doing over the last three weeks is I've been saying, okay, God, what's the main central theme of these verses? And what can I really communicate that gives us hope and helps us with our tongue? And I couldn't find one. So what I'm choosing to do is I'm going to do something that I have never done in in sermon preaching. I'm just going to read the verses. You say, are you kidding me? I am. We're just going to read the word of God this morning. Now, I have a few comments at the end of it, but I'm going to let these verses stand on their own. Because that's what they do. I'm going to pray for us here in a minute. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust that the spirit of God is active in this room. He uses the word of God powerfully. And so I'm just going to read through these verses. They're going to be on the screen. So you can I'm going to pray that there's one or two of them that really step out in your unique situation and say, that's the word I need to hear about my tongue today. There's going to be words on how you use your tongue. There's going to be verses on how to respond to others that use their tongue poorly. There's going to be words, verses on um, descriptions of the tongue, things you should say and shouldn't say. And so I'm just going to kind of work through this and we're going to allow the word of God to speak for itself. So to do that, I want to just kind of pause here. I want to pray. And then we're going to read these verses. God, I pray as we um, just work through the Bible, God, as we read your words and try not to add a lot to them, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Some of these verses are simple, but yet so profound. Some of them, God, I'll confess for myself as a talker. I talk a lot, God. I confess that to you. And I saw verses that say where, where words are many, sin is not absent. That's scary to me. God, as I read verses about the life that can be given from the tongue, it's like a gentle, a gentle answer gives life, but a harsh answer can, can destroy. Gentle answers can, can bring healing physically. God, I pray for the people. I pray as we sit and work through these verses, I pray that your spirit would be active, that we would be attuned, we would be listening to your word. And that, God, you would just pull one or two of them out and apply them to people's hearts where they're at this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. First verse you're going to see on the screen is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. And it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, here's where the tongue comes in. Impress them on your children. Talk, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Psalm 12, verses 1 to 4 says this. The psalmist says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail, by our lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Psalm 15, verses 1 to 5. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. And does not change their mind. Who lends money to the poor without interest. And does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Psalm 63, three. Because your love is better than life. Let me say it again. This is amazing. Because your love, O oh God, is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard over your mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now we jump into the book of Proverbs and I, I just pulled a few out of here. There are so many in the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs 10, 13 is the first one. I, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. Verse 14 goes on. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. I want you to see this theme in these verses repeat itself. When I use my mouth poorly, my life is going to be difficult. Proverbs 10:18 Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 10:19 Goes on sin is not ended by multiplying words but the prudent hold their tongues. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. Another translation says it this way have it in parentheses there when words are many sin is not absent but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, if you're a talker, this verse says you're a sinner. You're sinning with your tongue. I'm a communicator. I talk a lot. I'm a verb. I'm, I verbally express myself often, and I read that verse. It's humbling. Proverbs ten twenty one: The lips of the righteous nourish many. The lips of the righteous nourish many. But fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs ten thirty two: The lips of the righteous know what finds favor they know how to use their tongue but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse Proverbs 12:18 The words of the reckless pierce like swords Let me read that one again the words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise bring healing Proverbs 13:3 Those who guard their lips preserve their lives but those who speak rashly will come to ruin Proverbs 14.3, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Proverbs 14.7, this is, if you know someone who speaks improperly, this is a great one. Proverbs 14.7, stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Stay away from a fool. Those who do not use their mouth well, stay away from them. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. I mean, what is your tongue doing? Is it nourishing and bringing life or is it the second half of that verse? Is it crushing the spirit? I mean, crush, it's a, it's a powerful image. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked, they just gush evil. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. And look at this, healing to the bone. How I speak to you can impact you physically, not just spiritually, not just emotionally. What we do with our words can impact others physically. Proverbs 17, 4. A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Proverbs 18, 6. The lips of fool bring them strife. There it is again. If you don't use your tongue well, you're going to have a difficult life. And their mouths invite a what? A beating. If you do not use your mouth well, you are going to struggle in life. Proverbs eighteen seven: The mouth of fool's are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Proverbs 18:8 8, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. We feed on them, but they go down to the inmost parts. Proverbs 18:17 In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Be careful that first person that comes to you be careful you don't buy into their story proverbs 18:21 the tongue has power of life and death and those who love it will eat its pr- fruit proverbs 19:1 better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse proverbs 20:15 gold there is and rubies in abundance but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel they're rare it's very rare to find people who use their tongues well, but it's worth a whole lot of money when you do it. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid, Here it is, another one. If you know people who gossip, so avoid anyone who talks too much. So if you have a friend that talks too much, you say, hey, God's word tells me not to hang out with you. Proverbs 24, 26, I love this one to death because I love to kiss. I love to kiss my beautiful wife down here. Sorry, sweetie, if I embarrassed you, but this one's a a cool one. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now, to the kids in the room, you're going, ew. But for those of you who are old and mature and are married or, or want to be married, a kiss on the lips is a cool thing. An honest answer brings that intense desire like a kiss on the lips. Proverbs 25, 15. Through patience, look at this one. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Some of us think we have to get loud and noisy to be heard. A gentle tongue actually has a phenomenal power in it. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue. Look at this one. A lying tongue. What? What? Hates those it hurts. And a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 27, 2. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Proverbs 29, verses 19 and 20 says it this way. Servants cannot be corrected by mere words. Though they understand, they will not respond. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 says it this way. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see chapter six, verse 11 says this, the more the words, look at this one, (laughs) the more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? Proverbs 9, 17, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Ecclesiastes 10, 12 words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. Then verse 14 of chapter 10, it says, And fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Is that not the truth? Have you ever been around someone who cannot control their mouth? You never know what kind of garbage is going to spew out of that thing next. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught. Into the New Testament, Matthew 15, verses 10 to 20. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that the heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth... The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, hey, that's what the issue they're talking about. It doesn't defile them. Luke six twenty-six. This is a big one in today's culture. Today, you don't like something I say, you can be on your smartphone tweeting about me. It's everywhere. We live in a critical, nasty world. And this, this one is cool. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. If you're sitting here this morning and you pat yourself in the back because everyone loves you and likes you and you're all it's all good, Jesus actually says, woe to you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. If people don't have some nasty thing or two to say about you. You're probably not living and following Jesus Christ the way you should. John eight forty four. here's a powerful one. You belong to your father, the devil. Jesus is speaking to the Jews of the day. He says, you belong to the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, look at this. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 Corinthians four twenty. For the kingdom is, of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Galatians five thirteen to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say, if you bite and devour each other. Watch out, or you too will be destroyed by each other. The book of Ephesians has a ton of practical stuff in the tongue. Verse 15 of chapter 4 says it this way. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Truth in love. Verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 29 of chapter 4, do not let any, any, It's is an all-inclusive term, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Only speak what benefits other people. Only what benefits. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather, appropriate for this week, thanksgiving. Our tongues should be filled with thanksgiving. Colossians 3.8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Second Timothy 2.14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Titus 2.9, for those of you who are in working situations where you struggle with your boss, this is a great one. Titus 2.9, teach slaves, or in our context, employees, to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to what? Don't talk back to them. Hebrews 13.15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And here comes the classic passage. This one will kind of, this one and one more, but this is the classic one in the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider... What a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. Verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Weighty verse, verse seven, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And the final one I've chosen out of of all that I could have put up, 1 Peter 3, verses 9 to 11. Words that I think you probably know well. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days. How many of you want to see good days? We want to be blessed in this life. I mean, whoever wants that must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The one verse that I have and I just want to end with, turn with me to the book of James, one I didn't put up. I actually want to turn to this one. This one's a crucial one. The book of James, if you're not familiar with your Bible, you're going to find the book of James towards the back. You can see the book of Hebrews flip a few pages. You're going to come across this short little book, the book of James, James chapter one, James chapter one, verse 19 says it this way. It's kind of the verse this one and one other one. I want us to walk out of here with it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Here it is. Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to what? Become angry. Quick to listen. You know, we've got two ears and one mouth. I think it's, it's, you've heard this before. Two ears and one mouth. We should listen more than we speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You know, it's interesting to me. We live in an angry culture, don't we? Anger is one of the descriptions of our current culture. Anger just is flooding at the surface. And what I've found, anger is more of a listening problem than it is a word problem. We're not being trained to do two things, I think. We're not being trained, the most obvious, is to listen to other people. And when a person is at their angriest, they're at their, at their highest point of opposition. When a person is there, they're at their most vulnerable place. You can see when someone comes to me and says, if Chris comes to me and says, hey, Adam, I see this in your life. He's using his words to speak to me and he begins to expose my heart. I get angry. I shut him down. And what I do, what we do with our words is I figure I'm going to get angry. I'm going to lash back with venom at Chris and I'm going to control him. When we're at our angriest, we're at our most vulnerable place. So I think one thing we're not learning to—we're not learning to just stop and listen. So if Chris comes to me, I'm not learning to stop and open my ears to what the what a friend has to say to me. But more than that, we're not listening to our own hearts. We live in a culture that is so rampant. We're so breakneck speed. We're running here. We're running there. We're not learning to just stop and take a Sabbath to rest. To breathe in, to take a seat and sit down with God, the heavenly, my heavenly father, and just stop and sit in his presence and say, God, would you speak to me? I'm quiet, I'm still, and I'm listening. We're not listening to our hearts. We run so fast and so crazy and we're not listening. We need to learn to listen more. You see, here's what I think. Words, when Chris comes, they expose, and I get angry. But you know what else the reality is? Here's the other verse I want us to walk out of here with. Luke 6, 45. The good man, the good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now, catch this. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So the words that are spewing from my tongues, where are they coming from? When I get angry at my wife or get angry at my kids and stuff spews out, where does it come from? It says that I'm an evil person then because I've got evil down here in my heart. What comes out of my mouth is flowing from my heart. So words, we need to stop, I think, and follow James chapter 1 and just learn to listen. Lee Corso yesterday, if you follow College Game Day, Lee Corso dropped the F-bomb on national TV. He comes back and apologizes. Where did that F-bomb come from? He comes back and says, I'll never do it again. Sure he will. Because it's flowing from his heart. I think of myself when I was a ninth grade college foo- or a high school football coach. And I'm, I'm there with these kids. And I'm not a believer in Jesus. And I regret this to this day. I've shared this before. I wish I could go back. I've prayed. I said, God, could you bring this boy's name back to my mind so I could go back. And I could just apologize to him all these years later. God's never granted the answer to that prayer. But this kid, I get to practice. I get there late. I was running. And I I had on these cool $150 cowboy boots. You think, Adam, what are you thinking? I know. I don't know what I was thinking either. There was this cool phase back in the 90s when the, when, when the cowboy thing was in, the, the country thing was popular. I know some of you, it's been popular all your life. There was just actually a phase where it was popular with everyone. So I go and out and bought these cowboy boots. I bought a cowboy hat. I get there to practice so I didn't have time to change. I was running late. And I'm standing there at practice. And this kid is, is just annoying. He annoyed all the coaches. And I'm finally looking at him and said, listen, pay attention to what's going on. And I turned to continue to instruct. I was the offensive line coach. I continued to instruct the offensive line. All of a sudden, I feel something hitting me. And I turned down, and there it is. He's kicking dirt on my boots. He's been making fun of him the whole practice. And I'll never forget this. It pains my heart. I I just spun at him. I pointed my finger, and I let a blue streak fly out of my mouth and crushed his spirit. Why? Because my heart was exposed. What was inside was coming out at him. Because I didn't love him. I didn't care for him. And that was inside of my heart. And there it came finally. And I'm going to control him. I'm going to put him in his place. And it doesn't line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be rooted in my heart. If you look back there at James chapter 1 again. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so, that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, I, I'm so fearful of in the church today. Most of you in this room have grown up in the church. You've heard this book. You've heard it. You've read other books like this. Some of you have been to Bible school. Some of you have been to conferences and you've soaked up the Bible. It's like we think when we hear it, well, boy, I'm now, oh, I'm cool. No. When we hear it and we don't do it, we're deceiving ourselves. We are full blown hypocrites. Hearing it does nothing. This passage says we need to live it. We need to live it. And our relationships, we need to live this in our relationships. And here's the thing I want to end and go to prayer. Some of us this morning, we just need to confess. Some of us, we need to stop and say, you know what, Jesus, I claim to be a Christian. I claim to love you, but my words and the things that I'm saying, they don't reveal that. Our response to people are always connected to our response to Christ. Our worship and theology will always be on display in the way we treat others. My worship and what I truly believe, what I truly believe about Jesus and about God will always be on display in the way that I treat you, another fellow human. So as you interact with people, what is your worship? What is your theology? What is life saying that you believe? What is on your heart? And I think some of us need to stop this morning and say, you know what? God, this has uh, exposed my heart. I need to stop and just be quiet and listen to you. And then we need to say this cool truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then the truth that I think we end with. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Powerful verse, Romans 8 1. You are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You're alive, you're a new creature, you're a new being. As I go to prayer, I think of that verse I read at the start of this, Psalm chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. David, the psalmist, is crying out and saying, Look at this perverse, wicked generation. You know what I hear a lot today? I hear this a lot. America is so wicked, we're so evil. Our politicians are terrible. We're going to hell in a handbasket. All I hear is doom and gloom about America. Do you know what I've said? We are no different than Babylon, than Assyria, than Persia, than many other things we read about in this book. Matter of fact, we look pretty squeaky clean to some of the societies that God has judged and condemned. Yes, it's a dark world we live in. I don't disagree that Psalmist, Psalm 12, says it is a dark, scary world. But here's the cool thing I want us to go away with. I was in New York City last week. I walk outside, and in this city glow, I saw no stars in the sky. When I lived in the Adirondacks, and I'd walk outside, pitch black. There's no city lights. What do you see? Stars like I've never seen a day in my life. I could see the Milky Way stretch from one side of this, 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 this milky glow through the whole entire night sky. Why was that? Because when it's darkest, the stars shine brightest. And I believe with all my heart that if just a handful of us in this group here that is called a church would say, You know what? I'm going to shine with my tongue because my heart is pure and it's reflecting what's inside. I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to allow that to season and grace my lips. And I'm going to allow it to season and grace how I talk to my wife, how I talk to my children, how I talk to those I go to church with, how I talk with those I, I work with. And we'll shine bright. And we will make a huge difference in our relationships this holiday season just by allowing the work of the spirit of god to work inside my heart and spill out in how i speak let's pray god thank you so much for jesus god i think of these verses that we read there's a lot of them and so many that i didn't read God, it is humbling and sobering to look at all that you say about our tongue and our lips and our words. And God, what I do with this thing that I'm using right now is ultimately going to shape the course of my relationships. I'm either going to set a course towards destruction or I'm going to bring nourishment and healing and life. God, may it be said of me that I'm bringing life to those that hear me speak. God, may it be said of me that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so evident in how he speaks and the way he interacts with others. God, my ultimate prayer is that we would learn as a people to sit and to listen in your presence, to hear you speak, to hear you talk to me. God, will we learn to just quiet ourselves and open our ears and listen to you? And then respond and obey accordingly. God, then as I interact with my wife and friends like Chris and others in my life, what I learn to open my ears and listen to them, not be quick with an answer, not be quick with the response, but listen and allow their words to penetrate and begin to expose things in me that maybe I can't see. And then God, as I am exposed and I see things, may I learn to constantly not run with shame and guilt, but learn to constantly come back to you and say, this is why Jesus died. He died for me to cleanse me, to justify me, to make me right. And God, I come back to you and just confess again, I'm broken and I'm needy and I need Jesus. And then step out and walk as Romans eight, one says with no condemnation and live free and live with joy and life on my lips because of what you have done inside of me because I'm listening to you. God, would that be said of all of us in this room? And God, as we do that, we live in a perverse generation. I get that. I understand that. But God, when we walk out of here and shine bright, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.